And Jesus, thank you for your word today. Thank you for just coming and speaking to our hearts. Uh, Father, we're hungry for you, that we desire you. We desire to walk with you in deeper ways. And uh, Father, we just thank you for releasing honor and value and worth in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. amen. Well, uh, today, to be honest with you, I, I want to start off by sharing a few things that um, I've already kind of shared with you in a way. I'm just going to kind of maybe take a different angle, and uh, we'll, kind of, we'll kind of get where we're going. The top part, like I said, I've already shared it with you uh, in a roundabout way, uh, but there's a few things that I want us to see here today. So if you can't just open up a heart, say, Holy Spirit, please speak to me, um, and he'll do what he does best. Amen? Amen. Well, so let me start off by telling you this. Uh, I got born again in 1996, and um, so basically from 1997 to 1999, uh, I had an opportunity to attend a church on several occasions uh, that was experiencing what I would call a genuine revival. And uh, so, so we're all on the same page here. Uh, let me tell you what I'm not talking about. In the, in the South, uh, church leaders have a tendency to get together, look at a calendar, and look basically and say, okay, that would be an awesome week. Let's bring in that guest speaker, and we will call this our winter revival, our summer revival. How many of you guys know that's not really a revival? That's just a week of special meetings. So when I'm talking about this church I went to from 1997 to 1999, the, the only way that this revival can be explained is pretty much this, is a, a supernatural outpouring of God's presence and his power. That's what revival is. In fact, I, let me maybe even say this to you. I, uh, a pastor that I consider a mentor in my life said this to me the other day. I thought it was really good. He said, Quentin, do you know what revival is? He said, revival is when God gets tired of being misrepresented. So he basically comes down and basically sets everything straight, shows everybody who he really is. And, uh, and that's what really happened in this place. And so, you know, this revival that I'm talking about, it didn't last for a week. It actually lasted for eight years. And, uh, you know, the wild part was is, you know, obviously being a young believer, it was so amazing to watch as millions of people came to this revival. If it was by car, if it was by the van, or if it was by busloads, or if it was by airplane. Literally, people came from all around the world to experience what God was doing. And, and uh, you know, I personally witnessed firsthand, because uh, the first time I went at, at 18 years old, uh, you know, we showed up there, I don't know, kind of midday, whatever, and there was people already lined up waiting to get uh, in the service, and the service didn't start till 7 o'clock that night. But, man, when they opened the doors at 6 o'clock, it was like gangbusters. It, it, it looked like Black Friday at Walmart. You know what I'm saying? Pe- pe- people were, like, literally flocking and running in there. But I, I think, you know, as I sat there, um, you know, I was just amazed by, you know, you know obviously watching, watching the revival kind of play out. But literally that, literally that there was hundreds of thousands of people that at one point, uh, when, basically when the, when the sermon be given, they would literally run to the altar, bury their face in the carpet and just cry out and repent and go, God, I need you to save me. Pretty awesome, huh? So, I mean, literally hundreds of thousands being swept into the kingdom. And, and uh, you know, I remember the, the first time I attended a service there, once again, being 18 years old, uh, being very new to uh, that side of Christianity. Right. In other words, I didn't really experience that when I got drugged to church as a kid. Uh, I didn't really see the power of God. I just saw a service, you know. And so I remember sitting there and praise and worship went and it went for a while, probably about an hour. And, and we worshiped God and, and, you know, it was good. And everybody sat down. And because it was a Friday night, I didn't know this, but every Friday night that they did baptisms. 
And so we sat there and we watched one by one as people came in the baptism pool. They would give their testimony from young to old. And, uh, and everybody was screaming and celebrating and, and crying. You know, I was a mess. I was, I was just, I was a mess. I just sit there in awe. And, uh, you know, just watching the, literally the power of a God, uh, deliver people. Even seeing people give testimonies who were so bent. Uh, against God, didn't want anything to do with him, and they got drugged to that service somehow, or God spoke to him and said, you need to go, and, uh, and he met him there, and like that, their life was changed. And so the, the wild part, and it, you know, this may seem a little weird to you, but anyways, I, I just watched again and again as they baptized people, the power of God would hit that person, and they literally didn't have one guy in the pool like we normally see. They had a group of men, because the power of God would hit them, they couldn't stand up, they would have to drag them out of the baptism pool. It, pretty fun, right? And so, you know, obviously all that does is kind of charge the, the atmosphere all the more, right? So anyway, so that was kind of my, my first time there. And I, I remember another time I went, because we, we tried to frequent there often, uh, another time I went, the evangelist got up and said, uh, God's moving among the children tonight. And, and when he said that, uh, they piped in the audio from basically the, the children's church area, the kind of like the, the holding spot for the kids. They piped it into the main sanctuary, and all you heard was just weeping and wailing and kids crying out to God. I mean, Jesus, it was just so, um, just such a holy God-fearing atmosphere swept through that place. Uh, because, listen, I've been this long enough. You probably have been, too. Uh, adults have a tendency to fake things sometimes. Their flesh gets in the way. But, but kids, kids have the... Uh, the great ability to see things as they are, and, and they and they don't fake. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They, they, I mean, you might have your occasional, but but kids are so real and authentic and genuine. And uh, you, you know, even like today is so funny. You know, it's uh, you know Rachel's daughter comes up there and, and and grabs her leg. She walks up there and prays and worship. They just don't care about all that stuff we care about. It's kind of a good reminder that as a child we come into the kingdom, right? Because uh, we get so caught up in what people think. And so, you know, these little kids, literally the power of God hitting them, they don't care about impressing their friend. They don't care about impressing mom or dad. Just literally the, the presence of God did a supernatural thing that night. And then it moved from the children to the adults. Pretty awesome, right? So, yes? All right. So let, let me, but let me give you, and here's kind of the point that I want to make today, is I want to tell you about one of my uh, last trips to that church because I uh, experienced something completely different. Um, the ministry team I was a part of, we were in, we were outside of Birmingham, Alabama, and we were doing a PK or a pastor's kids retreat. And it got over. We, we drove back to from that side of Birmingham back to where we lived in, in Alabaster. And um, my friend and I on that trip said, you know, we should go to that church in the morning. So we went to our leader and we said, hey, can we drive through the night and can we go there to church? And he gave us permission. So we hopped in the car and we drove like, I don't know, probably the five and a half, six hours, whatever it was. So we arrive at this church on somewhere between five and six o'clock on Sunday morning. We are so excited thinking that, man, uh, this is really going to be worth it. Yeah, anybody ever done that, that you kind of went to the distance to meet with God, and you're just like, man, it's going to be worth it. And so I remember uh, going to Sunday school class, and I had to be honest, I was falling asleep in that. and uh, But I was trying to hang in there like a sport. So anyways, but when the service started, I, I just remember sitting there in such disappointment. Now, you got to understand the past experience I had, this was such an eye-opener, such an awe moments of going, wow, God is real, he's moving, he loves us, just, just totally changing my whole paradigm of who I thought God was. And then this time I'm sitting there in disappointment and I'm sitting here going, okay, this isn't bad, uh, but it's just not the strong presence that I've experienced in the past. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
So, you know, when all was said and done, um, you know, no disrespect, but it was just a typical Sunday morning service. Just it was just normal. There was no outpouring, no uh, no supernatural experience. It was just kind of like, okay, that was a good church uh, service. I remember getting in the car, me and my buddy Carl driving back to Birmingham. And I remember just sitting there contemplating. I can't remember if I told you this before or not. But 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 I was just sitting there thinking, you know, how can this be? It was the same church building, the same worship leader, the same pastor. But the atmosphere was completely different. And uh, that day I, I learned something. And he said, I told you before, but that day I learned something about the kingdom that I never knew before. And, and it was simply this, that there's a huge difference when people approach God out of some, and, and I don't mean this in a mean, mean way. I mean, this from a genuine love, but it's just out of a religious duty or sort of tradition. They just, okay, it's Sunday morning. We need to go to church. There's a big difference between that kind of mentality. And then when people come to God with an expectation to encounter him, are y'all following me today? When they come with expectation and hunger. In fact, I, I remember going to that service going, man, that's no different than what we have in our church in Birmingham. Because I went to a really good church. And, you know, where there's hungry people, praying people. I mean, we, we had some awesome times with God. Uh, but I remember just going, okay, there's not that much of a difference. But, the, but I learned, basically, the, the big difference was between that Sunday morning. It was just your typical Sunday morning crowd. And then those people that would go to the revival services, those are the ones came hungry and expecting. And guess who God showed up with? Yes? All right, so let's take a different angle. And I know I've talked about this a little bit. But, but uh, once again, there's just a few things I just... I just felt like I need to share this with you this morning. I know so much repeat, but I, I've just walked with God long enough to know that he's, he's good with repeat. He, he'll send you around that mountain long enough until you get it. Amen? There's people that have been in second grade in the spirit for 20 years, and God's just trying to get the point. So it, it's in this that even though we're, we're sitting here today, I go, okay, I've heard that. But, but you know, take a notice as a believer, you, you know, what I begin to pay attention to personally, let me say it that way, is what, what am I hearing when stuff's preached? What's God telling me? And then what am I hearing when people say, when conversations are happening? And normally there's a theme there, if we pay attention, that God's really trying to show something. He's really trying to do something in us. Is that true? So, so anyway, so take it like that today, okay? So, anyways, so from personal experience, I, I've told you this before, but about six years ago, uh, when I was leading a school of ministry in North Carolina, there was a group of young men and young women, small group, maybe 20, and, uh, but, but that group began to get really hungry from God or for God. And uh, what I mean by hunger this morning, I'll just give you a quick definition. It means this. It means a strong or compelling desire, a stronger, compelling desire for who? For God. OK, so the best way I can describe, though, this group is is they didn't have uh, they weren't hungry for moments. You know, in other words, it's, it's Wednesday. I got hungry for God. It's Sunday. I got hungry for God. That this hunger actually became a sustaining hunger. Okay. They had a sustained hunger for God that they just wanted to meet him. It was almost like because we're in school and you think, okay, it's all academics. But it was really what happened was is their, their desire to learn uh, was coupled with their passion to encounter God and it just exploded. Are you following me? So basically, this hunger uh, spilt over to their daily private times. It was in their worship time. It was in their word time. It was in their prayer time. You, you really couldn't go in the room with them when they were awake, right, when they were awake. So, you know, maybe not the morning time, but when they were awake, I mean, these guys were just going at it. And they didn't care who was in the room. They just wanted to meet with God. And so, anyways, like I've told you week after week, 
you know, these guys would gather in each other's houses to read the Bible. They would worship. They would do all this. So it kind of became part of the culture that was in them. And uh, please, this is kind of the reason I'm saying this today right here, because a statement that I literally watched as their hunger for God opened the door of heaven. You get that? Their hunger for God opened the door of heaven. And in response, in response, God began to reveal and release his destiny for their lives. You understand? I'll say that again. Their hunger for God opened the door of heaven. And in response, God began to reveal and release his destiny for their lives. You know, put it maybe in simple terms. It was almost like a, a, a weekly thing that as these guys were pressing in, and it was in different moments, they would come to me and go, they go, Pastor Quentin, God showed me this. This is what I'm going to do. God dropped this in my heart. You know, this is what I'm going to do for the next season. Uh, or I'm going to do this, you know, whatever. I know it's down the road, but I know I'm going to do this. And, and the cool part, I'll go ahead and kind of add, throw this out there, is uh, most of those guys, most of them, not all of them, but most of them are actually walking in a piece of that today. That's pretty exciting. I actually talked to one of them two days ago, and he's about to leave for Nicaragua. And, uh, you know, it's things that God stirred in his heart during that time. And it's just so neat to watch, once again, that here's these people be hungry. God says, okay, here's what you're going to do. And they just keep walking in that sustained hunger, and God begins to open doors. A lot of times we try to open doors, but, but literally when you have a sustained hunger, God will open those doors for you. Is that truth? So all in all here, and this is a verse I've shared quite a bit, uh, but this is where uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 really comes to life. We can all probably uh, quote it, but it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Uh, I believe that that scripture there in verse 11 must be coupled with verse 13 when it says, You will seek and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. What I saw with those young people as they sought him with all their hearts, those plans got, they became open, they became clear. God brought clarity. You'll follow me today. Amen. All right. So watch this. So let me take it to the next step. During that period of time, I watched that that group. Once again, that that sustained hunger. I watched it move from that little small group of ministry students to where it literally uh, if infected. Maybe that's a, an OK word to use there. The youth ministry that we led. And so, you know, so it came from, you know, these 20 something year old kids to now it's happening in this 13, 14, 15, 16 year old kid. And, and the neat thing about it was, is that sustained hunger began to become part of our DNA. You know, hear what I'm saying today. It became part of our DNA. It literally became a, a core value of who we were. Now, listen, you're still dealing with people. So every week wasn't like, boom. But, but you know, there was weeks that you knew, okay, today's a teaching day. And there was today, God has given us an opportunity to meet with him. And those guys would go at it. Are y'all, are y'all following me? So maybe another way I can say it is this sustained hunger, that it literally became the new standard. Does that make sense? When I first took that position, uh, the standard was to be cool. You know, how hard can you be? How can you act like that you're not listening to the pastor? How fast can you go to sleep? How, you know, that, that group of kids, you know. And slowly but surely, we kept teaching the word, kept providing opportunities for worship. And, uh, you, you know, the... Based in those moments, it's, it's like this. It's no different than when God gives you a prophetic word. A prophetic word is, doesn't, just because you got a prophetic word doesn't mean it's a done deal. It actually means it's an opportunity. Right? Does that make sense to you? A word comes and basically it's God inviting you to step into an opportunity. It was the same thing. Here was this moment that God said, okay, I want to do something. But because they had that hunger, they, they took him up on his invitation. And uh, m- maybe, the, maybe a better way to describe this is, is this. 
is that that sustained hunger uh, actually became the measuring stick of the way we evaluated services. Let me explain. Okay. So it came. Am I boring you all today? Not sure. Okay. All right. Well, we'll, well, maybe we'll get going in a minute. All right. So. All right. So what's this? That that literally when we talk about the measuring stick, it didn't become where uh, we got after service and we would sit in our Thursday youth staff meetings. We'd go, okay. Uh, so, all right, so worship, we didn't have any hiccups. We didn't have any train wrecks. Uh, okay, you, you know, we communicated that well. Okay, we feel like we, we presented that right, blah, 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 blah. It kind of moved from that to go, okay, did he show up? Was there an anointing? Was the presence of God there? And, and that's how we begin to evaluate meetings is, is, is literally did God walk in the room? Am I making sense to you guys? And so, and so it came from just going, was church good to, okay, where was he at? And, uh, you, you know, and I personally believe, and here's why I kind of why I'm sharing all this to you is, is, or with you, is because I believe this morning that God, uh, God wants us to have a sustained hunger. He doesn't want us to settle for just moments of it. Yes? Am I making sense? And, and, and let me kind of clarify here, okay? Um, I learned a long time ago, hunger doesn't really mean that you have some fired up emotion going on. That you, wow. That's not really what hunger is. Hunger is just really this. And, and let me let me maybe go this route. Um, people used to say a lot, you know, are, are you on fire for God? And I remember going, what does that mean? To be on fire for God. And, and you know, and I finally just realized, I mean, granted, there's a part where you're where you're passionate and, and you and you want him and there's expectation, all that. But there's also that side that just says this. You know what? I'm committed. I'm going to pray when I don't feel like it. I'm going to worship when I don't feel like it. I'm going to read the Bible when I don't feel like it. Because I know my flesh at some point is going to subside and I'm going to enter into the spirit and he's going to meet with me there. That's really what it means to be on fire. You, you know, it's, it's no different than, um, you, you know, us that are married in the room to go, you know, do every day, do you feel in love? Come on now. Y'all, y'all got afraid, didn't you? Don't give them any indication. <laughs> Listen, we all have days where we don't feel in love, but it's a commitment we make every day to our spouse. I love you. It's the same thing in the kingdom with being on fire for him. Amen. All right. So let's get the ball rolling here a little bit. Okay. so so why does God value hunger? Um, The first reason is this. And these are real simple. I'm give you five and we're going to sit on the fifth one. The first one is this. And we said this again and again and again over the weeks. It's because he is relational. It's because he enjoys spending time with you. I really hope that we get that, that he wants to spend time with you. Amen. Listen, we all know James 4, 8. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to who? To you. It's a personal thing. He'll draw near to you. The second reason God values hunger is this, is because hunger is the way of the kingdom. Really simple. Hunger is the way of the kingdom. We all know Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Amen. Amen. Let me even maybe take a, a little side note there. That's where we take, uh, you know, an evaluation of our own hearts and go, OK, when I've been hungry, when I've been passionate for God, notice how different you are in the inside. than the other times where you're where you're preoccupied and busy and, uh, you know, not making room for him. If it's, you know, whatever, you're watching a lot of TV, you've been running around, hanging out with a bunch of people, whatever it is, that at the end of the day, if you know that I didn't make time for him to be with him, then you kind of feel an emptiness inside of you. Is that true? 
Yes. Okay. Because why? Because blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or for him because they shall be filled. That feeling is what you get when you're with him. The third reason is this is why God values hunger is because hunger reveals humility and dependency. It reveals really the positioning of our hearts. And, and I'll give you a verse here. I'm trying to go through these fast. But in uh, Luke one fifty two, it says this. It says he has filled the hungry with good things. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich, or we can say those who aren't humble, okay, and I'm not saying that all rich people aren't, are prideful, but in the context here, he's saying basically those who are prideful, those who don't depend upon him, it says he has sent them away empty. What a powerful verse, huh? So the fourth reason is this, why God values hunger, is because hunger reveals spiritual health. Hunger reveals our spiritual health. Uh, there's no difference when we talk about hunger let me say it this way. Hunger reveals spiritual health just as it does our own physical health. You, you know, but there's almost like a, a trademark. Trademark's really the wrong word. But there's this common theme with people who are sick and they're dying. They don't want to eat. They don't have an appetite. Are, are you following me? Any, you know, how many times, uh, you, you know, if someone, let, let's say someone has uh, whatever, let's just say some disease. And at the end of the day, or let's say it's your kid and they've been, in, you know, hugging the toilet and they've been throwing up. The last thing they're going to do is throw up and go, Mom, can I have a cheeseburger? You, you know, there's something, it's, it's such an indicator that something's not right in them. And it's the same thing in the kingdom of God. When we don't have a hunger for God, it's an indicator that something's wrong. There's alarms going off. Something's not right. And, you know, at that point, we have to ask ourselves, well, what are we getting full with? What are we getting full on? What are we really hungry for? And so hunger in the kingdom, meaning that you just, it's this. Let me maybe describe it to you this way. It's the difference between being satisfied where you're at and then being uh, satisfied with being unsatisfied. Meaning that you, 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 can't ever, you don't ever get to a point where you go, okay, I'm good. I got enough of him. I'm happy where I'm at. I'm satisfied where I'm at because I have a relationship with him. But I know there's so much more and I want that. Does that make sense to you guys? That, that's, that's really what it means to be hungry for God, okay? Uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's this last-ditch last effort that we just got to throw it all in and go for broke because, man, this is our moment. If we miss it, we miss it. It's just, okay, God, I know you're real, and I just want to know you more. All right, so the fifth reason, this is where we're going to sit today. Number five, the fifth reason God values hunger is because hunger releases destiny. Hunger releases destiny. That's why I said what I said earlier about those students. Hunger releases destiny. And if you're taking notes, you can add in there the hunger releases identity and destiny. If you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to sit in one portion of Scripture for the rest of our time. Mark chapter 10. It's going to be a familiar, familiar passage of Scripture, Mark chapter 10. I know it's going to be on the screen, but if you don't mind, I actually want you to see some of this in your Bible. It'll make it a whole lot easier for uh, for me to kind of walk you through this in a minute if you're looking at your word. So Mark chapter 10, we're going to look at verses 46 through 52, 46 through 52. If you're there, say, oh, yeah. It says, now they came to Jericho as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus. If you know this story, say, oh, yeah. yeah. It says, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Verse 47, it says, and when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
Verse 48 says, Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 49 says, So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garments, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, or teacher, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. So let's walk through this slowly, real fast. Go back to the top, verse 46. It says, Now they came to Jericho as he went out of Jericho. Listen, at first glance, it almost seems like that he mentioned that he went in Jericho and out of Jericho, almost like it was useless or it was meaningless, uh, until you realize the historical facts about Jericho. So I'm going to say a few things. Maybe you've heard before, maybe you haven't. But theologians believe that during this time that there was 100,000 people that lived in Jericho. And watch this, about to get interesting. They also believe that out of those 100,000 people that lived in Jericho, that one out of four of them were blind due to poor sanitation. Okay, so watch this. So when you when you realize, okay, the population of 100,000, one out of four, then that means that there was 25,000 people living in Jericho that were blind during that time. So let's kind of put this in perspective. Uh, Jennifer and I just moved from a town of 300,000 people. When, when, when God began to open all this up for me, I sit there and thought, man, can, can you imagine uh, 75,000 people being blind in a city? So to take it kind of in this perspective area, kind of rounding, if we just went, uh, you know, Camden, Rockport, Rockland, of about 30,000 people, can you imagine the percentage there using that, that that would mean there would be 7,500 people in this town that would be blind? Are you, are you walking with me here? So watch this. So can you imagine how overwhelming it would be, going back to Jericho, for 25,000 people to be blind and sitting on the street slowly begging for money and food? It's almost like you couldn't go to Walmart, couldn't go to Rennie's, you couldn't go to your friend's house. Uh, literally, you couldn't come to church. You, you couldn't go anywhere without bumping into someone that was blind and someone that was begging for money and for food. That'd be kind of overwhelming, wouldn't it? Yes, talk to me today. Come on, wake up. So, you know, here's, so, here's kind of the thought. So the unique fact about this portion of Scripture isn't that Jesus had an encounter with a blind man. What is unique is how and why the blind man approached him. So in other words, once again, uh, Bartimaeus wasn't like the one scraggly guy that was just kind of sitting by the gate going, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. It, it wasn't just one guy sitting there. Once again, Jesus went in the city, went out of the city, had 25,000 people begging for food and money. Are you following me? So listen, it's very obvious that uh, Bartimaeus wasn't looking for a handout in the scripture. And it's very obvious that he was looking for healing. Uh, but I would like to suggest this, and, and, you know, if you're really big in hermeneutics, you may tear the sermon up at the end, but, but let me just kind of give a, a, just some basic, maybe, thoughts here, okay? Is, uh, I think he was desiring something more, because I personally believe that Bartimaeus was desiring for his destiny to be revealed. Now, let me explain to you what I mean. Look at the next part here, okay? Don't throw out what I'm saying, just walk the dog with me real fast, okay? It says this, that they went in Jericho, they went out of Jericho, and it says, with his disciples and a great multitude. So there's this massive uh, crowd of people, and it says, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Now, the name Bartimaeus is a combination of two words. The first part, bar, B-A-R, and then Timaeus. 
Uh, bar simply means this. It means son of. So it's no different than you and I. If we know someone that has the last name Johnson, it means the son of John. If someone has the name Richardson, it's the son of Richard. If it's someone with the name Thompson, it's the son of Thomas. So the same thing, anytime you see bar attached to a biblical name, it simply means son of. But here's where it gets interesting. So son of, the second part, Timaeus, actually means honor. The name Timaeus actually means honor. So when you put the combination of Bar and Timaeus together, his name actually means son of honor. So in this portion of scripture that we're reading here, uh, you know, what, what is this son of honor, the son of value, the son of great worth? What is he doing? Look at your Bible. The very next thing it says, it says that he sat by the road. Talk to me. He sat by the road doing what? Begging. Now, listen, I don't I don't mean this. Everybody hear all this with grace, please. Okay, what I'm about to say next. But let's just be honest. None of us have ever driven on the road down the road. And and this was really big from the town that we moved on, uh, moved from. uh, But literally corners throughout the whole town. There was someone standing on the corner with some kind of sign and they were and they were asking or begging for money. Yes, we've all seen that. Wave your hand at me if you've seen that before. Okay. So how many of us in that moment in our car sitting there seeing that person that we ever stopped and went, man, that's that's honorable. Are, are you following me? They said, man, that, that's such an honorable thing that they're doing today. So so, you know, none of us have sit there and went, you know, once again, let me say it this way. Is there anything honorable about begging? There's not. Uh, but I'm willing to step out of a limb and say this today, that this guy Bartimaeus was living below his God given destiny. Yes. So, you know, some people might think that that's kind of harsh when they realize another thing that theologians believe, that they literally believe that not only was uh, Bartimaeus was blind, but they also believe that Timaeus's father was blind. So here's a city that literally is, has blind reproducing the blind. Take that in spiritual context over a region. That the blind were reproducing the blind. So watch this, just a thought. This could potentially mean that Jericho was a place where the people embraced a culture of where it was acceptable to live below their God-given rights. It was acceptable to live below their God-given potential. It was acceptable to live below their God-given destiny. Are you following me today? It's literally that this was a place, a location where that which was meant to be uncommon became common. You know, I remember... um, I remember when I first moved to Fayetteville, once again, I'm from a little small country town and, and I moved basically kind of the outside suburbs of Birmingham when I when I went to college. And uh, so I didn't see a whole lot of stuff. I mean, obviously, we did street evangelism and there I saw a whole, whole lot, but I'd never really lived around it. And I remember when I first moved to Fayetteville, it was the first time I ever lived in a city where there was prostitutes on the corner. And, and it was very obvious what they were doing. Okay, so from a little boy from Pinson, Alabama, that was a newsflash. All right. And so I'm I'm driving the road and I'm seeing that woman and she certainly is not presenting herself in a holy manner. Okay, so here's kind of the point of when I was first there, uh, that really caught me off guard. And, And but over time, after living there for 14 years, that which was uncommon became common and I didn't even see them anymore. Oh, that's them. They're working the streets again. Are you following me? So here's this city of that which was meant to be uncommon in the kingdom of people living below their destiny. People just got used to it. They got used to seeing it. Oh, it's, it's, it's Bob again. It's Jack again. It's Sue again. Oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're not living up to the potential. It's, it's okay. Are you all hearing me today? Yes. 
So let's look at the next part here, okay? Let's look at how Bartimaeus approached Jesus. Look at verse 47. It says, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. Notice the word heard. In fact, can you say the word heard? This means that he must have heard stories about other places and about the miracles and the works that Jesus had done. Right. So he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. And, And because he knew that those stories, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David. Now, what's so awesome about those stories when he heard them is it calls faith in his own heart to believe that Jesus is who he is, the Messiah, the son of God. Are you with me? God in the flesh that he absolutely believed. Once again, here's a guy that never saw the miracles. He heard the miracles, but it calls faith to come in his heart. And here he is. He's crying out, Jesus, son of David. And in fact, I believe in that moment that he thought that this was potentially because this is of why he responded, that this was potentially his only chance to have a different life. Are you following me? It was his only chance to step into maybe the destiny that he knew that was inside of him. So he says this, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I love what the Amplified Bible says there. It says this, it says, Jesus, son of David, have pity and mercy on me now. I love that. And then it says in verse 48, it says that many warned him or many severely rebuked him to be quiet. After all, why should he be hollering? There's 25,000 of them. Right? It says, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Remember what hunger means. And I want you to get this, that last part. But he cried out all the more. Hunger, once again, means a stronger, compelling desire. It's really this. Hunger is this, y'all. Maybe if I can give a different definition. It's really not taking no for an answer. That's really what it is. That's really the way of the kingdom. Yes, that we keep pounding that door until we get something, right? Yes. So watch this. So let me tell you maybe a few thoughts here about hunger. Hunger has a uh, motivating factor to it. Is that true? Hunger has a motivating factor to it. Let, let me maybe go in the natural so you can understand the spiritual. Um, if we go to regions that are that are just desolate and poor, there's a there's a common theme that's there. It's called stealing. Right. When people get in a desperate spot, their bellies are growling. But even beyond their bellies, their, their families' bellies are growling. Uh, they'll do things that they know are not morally correct because it's, it's a desperate time. And desperate times take desperate measures. And so it's a compelling desire. I have to get food. I have to feed my family. And it causes people to do things that are, that are beyond their comfort zone. Are you following me today? So, so when you're really hungry for God... Uh, you know, th- that's what happens. You, you, you can't you can't uh, sit back and make room for passivity. You can't sit back and just go, uh, you know, just kind of accept things that, well, that's just the way it is. Hunger, hunger, once again, doesn't take no for an answer because hunger motivates us to step out of our comfort zone and out of our get this key word, please, and step out of our convenience. Because I have personally found in the almost 20 years that I've been walking with God, it's never really convenient. It's truth. Yes, we've said it before, but it's not. L- listen, but hunger causes us to move out of what seems safe and what seems secure into something greater, to step into what God has in store for our lives. There, there, listen, in, in your walks with God, and, and a lot of you guys know this, but there's going to come to a point with, with what was great for the pre- previous season isn't going to work in the next season. And then God's going to require you to step out of a comfortable spot, to step out of a safe place, out of a secure place, uh, to go and get more of him. Because you're going to need more of him, what, for that new, that new season. Is that true? Yes? Amen. 
So let me maybe say this, you know, maybe be a little bit more theological in what I'm saying. Um, when we get born again, God gives us all that he is. Yes, he gives us all that he is. But but where we're at, out of walking out of the old man into the new man, even though all of that's available, we're not have, we don't always have the faith and the revelation for it. And so even though it's all available, as we walk in this journey with God, more gets released to us and we begin to believe more and then stuff happens. Does that make more sense? Okay. All right. So, so let me kind of go give you a thought here. Okay. Just talking about the comfort zone convenience and all this. And, and I want you to really hear this with, with ears. Yes, about you, but also about this region. Okay. But Bartimaeus could have thought, Hey, you know what? There's 24,999 other blind people begging around here. Why should I do anything different? After all, I'm surviving. Okay. Are you following me? Listen, I grew up in a family of alcoholics. I could have easily said, you know, there's a whole lot of them here. Why do I need to do anything different? Right? You know, I, let me even go this route. The first time I saw pornography, I was in the first grade. And, and all through elementary school, you know, there was these moments of all this, even in high school. And I could have easily said, you know what? Um, you know, without saying who, who in my family that had all those videos and magazines and all that, I could have easily said, well, you know what? That family member does it, and that family member doesn't. That fa- Why should I do anything different? Once again, that which is uncommon, we allow it to become common for us. Are you following me? You know, I also grew up around a lot of angry people with extremely foul mouths, okay? The, the first time I ever got a whipping for cussing, I was four years old. The first time I got beat... Not a whipping, but got beat for cussing when I was in the fourth grade because I put about every word you can imagine in one sentence and I screamed it to the top of my lungs at my brother. What I didn't know was is my parents were home. <laughs> I, yeah, I got off the school bus and I just let him have it. And then I walked down the road, turned to the driveway and all the windows were up in the house. I was like, my mom whipped me. Then my stepdad whipped me, and then my mom whipped me again. They whipped me good, okay? The only problem was is it didn't stop anything, okay? So, but, and the reason was is because I learned every one of those words from them. I grew up around it. Once again, I'm thinking, why are you whipping me for something that you do? Are, are you following me? That which should have been uncommon of, of protecting a kid's purity, they didn't get it. And innocence, and so I just participated in it, whatever. It's hypocrisy, right? So anyway, so he could have easily just sit there and said, you know, why be different? And uh, I'm going to tell you why we should be different. OK, let, let me let me go this route, kind of get away from that is in this region. Uh, there are certain concepts that are so locked in the churches that are not biblical. Is that OK to say that? And there's promises that are in the word and there's a, there's the way of the kingdom that we need to walk in and we need to know and we need to pursue. Yes? Yes? And so, you know, we, we could go, um, you, you know, I don't, want, I don't want people to think I'm crazy. <laughs> Word. But, but, but listen, <laughs> there you go. So, so but, but listen, it's, you know, I'm not necessarily sitting here going, you know, we're going to be the crazy church, you know, whatever. That's not the goal, okay? But, but the goal is, is I, want, I want us to be a church that, you know, that, that Jesus is here. Right? Yes. Yes. And so, and so there's, a way of, there's a way of order. There's a way of spiritual authority. There's a way of praying. There's a way of worshiping. There's a way of all these things that God has made available to us. 
And, uh, you, you know, once again, that uh, and not to be judgmental and critical, but it's like, man, there's a greater invitation that we have to step into it. Am I, am I making any sense? And, and, you know, in our hearts, you know, I, I agree. Yeah. OK, Jesus is here. But but, you know, what? I don't want to settle for 10 percent. I don't want to settle for 50 percent. Am I making any sense, you guys? Yes. No. So. So, yes, it's it's corporately of what we're talking about, of going, well, that's the way this place is and this place is. And the reason I'm saying that is not so much from you guys, but I've just heard that around the town from other people. You, you, you know, it's almost like, hey, dude, don't get too crazy. God doesn't really do that stuff. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I, I, I had a um, had a lunch the other day, and I think I might, you know, talked about this the other day, but, but with a really good brother, really loves God, really stands for the truth. But he says every bit of what we believe has passed away. And I'm just like... Come on, man. You, you, know, you know, read in the Bible. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. All this has not passed away. Right? Yes? Yes? So, so listen, we can either go, well, I'm going to come in agreement with them, or we can come in agreement with the Bible. I'd rather come in agreement with the Bible and say, okay, let's go. You know? So, anyways, so it can be, so it can be corporately, but it can also be individually. And, and uh, so, once again, uh, you know, Bartimaeus could have easily said, look, there's 24,999 other people in this city living just like that, living below God's destiny for their lives. But we have to realize that you were born for greater things. We were born for greater things. Amen? That we were born, watch this, key word, tying his name, that we were born for honor. That we were born for honor. And, and you know, let me maybe say this, that, and I kind of said it last week, and I don't mean to be repeat myself a whole lot, but, but listen, when people look at us, they should go, mm, something's different. And it's not because of us, it's who, it's who we are clothed in. Yes? So, so, anyways, we were born for greater things. We were born for honor. And, uh, you know, even going back to Bartimaeus here, I, I think, you know, what's again, son of honor, knowing that culture, names were very important. Uh, I think he knew what his name meant. And I think he realized that here I am sitting by the road and I'm begging for money. And, man, this is not what my name means. And I don't care if my dad, who's named Honor, isn't doing anything different. I want to do something different for me. Yes? So the question is, is, is this, whatever, and take this as a grain of salt if need be. But, but how long will we as born-again, spiritual believers allow the culture that we live in, allow the culture and people's words, people's opinions, people's judgments, even things uh, that people have spoken over in the past, even our own past, the things that are true. How long will we allow those things to keep us from fulfilling our destiny? Yes, because the truth is, is, is it's really up to us. Yes, we have a decision to make. OK, so I don't know about you, but I personally don't want anything or anyone to stand between me and my destiny. There's too much at stake. Yes. So, but here's what's interesting. I, I read this the other day, and I don't have a clue how they come up with these numbers. They're, they're probably wrong uh, because I don't think you can gauge the worldwide church. But, but I do think there's some truth to it, okay? But I read this the other day from a very uh, well-known minister. He said that basically that they have done their research and that there's only 10% of the church, 10% of the people that call themselves Christian, actually uh, are walking in their destiny or walking in their divine calling. 10%. I don't think it's that far off, but I think it's, I'm just going to nod, it's kind of hard to get that number, but only 10%. And the reason I'm saying I don't think it's that far off, go back a few years ago, there was this book called Purpose Driven Life. It sold like it was hotcakes, 
Right. Everybody was buying it. And the reason everybody was buying it is because they really loved God, but they had no clue what God wanted them to do. And so they read this book. They tore this book up. Then, you know, that one. Okay, let me go get the devotion. Let me read that. I have to figure out what God's called me to do. And obviously, there was a lot of great fruit that came from that and a lot of life change. But it showed the need in the body. Yes, because just like Bartimaeus, people were sitting there in church week after week after week going, you know what? I, I, I get that. But something inside of me wants more. You follow me? I feel like something's missing. And, uh, you know, it's almost like, uh, you know, the other day, Caden and I put together a puzzle. And I don't know, it was, it was a small one, maybe like 200, 300 pieces. We put it together and we got to the end. It was like, we're missing a piece. And I'm like, dude, you just opened this. Where's the piece? Okay. And, uh, you know, whatever, it's kids. So it was laying over there on the floor. I think whatever, a little brother got it or something. It's probably half wet from somebody chewing on it. So anyways, but, but we found it. And, but that's, that's where a lot of us are. We, we, it's like we have this puzzle and we put per, certain pieces on it together. Uh, but then we just realize that there's something missing. And that's really that part of going, okay, let me, it's the part that goes, I'm not, I'm not walking in what God called me to walk in. Am I making sense to y'all today? All right. So watch this. All right. So. Let's go back to Bartimaeus here, okay? Um, look at what happened when Bartimaeus decided to step out of his comfort zone. Look at verse 49. I, I think we, we, we blow by this and we miss it, but look at that. It says, so Jesus stood still. Let, let me give it to you the way you're going, okay, what, what does that mean? Here's the way it came to me, and here's the way I see it. Do you understand that Bartimaeus' hunger Cause an unstoppable God to stop dead in his tracks to give him his undivided attention. You get that? That hunger that literally he pulled on heaven enough where heaven noticed and stopped and said, son, what do you want? Are you following me? So Jesus stood still. And then it says, and Jesus commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man. Once again, one out of twenty five thousand people. One man. Saying to him, be of good cheer, arise, he is calling you. I think that that verse right there is funny. Because isn't these are the people, rewind the story, that just severely rebuked him for screaming son of David. And then Jesus notices the guy and says, hey, come here. I just think it's funny how people change their tune when they notice God touches on your life. Yes? And that's the part we've got to quit worrying about everybody's opinion. Because if we just do it God's way, guess what? God will take care of the rest. Amen. If he can change people like that in this moment, he'll do it for us, too. So what did Bartimaeus do? And this is really where we're going to sit for a minute. We're going to try to land this thing in nine minutes. Here we go. What did Bartimaeus do? Verse 50. It says, and throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. Once again, we can't blow past that because we need to understand that that garment represented his identity. It was who he was. It was what he was known by, it was his beggar's robe. Do you understand that that robe just wasn't some clothes that he had and threw it off? No, that thing, that thing marked him. It labeled him. It made him a part of that 25,000 people. Are you following me? So he, when he said, when he knows Jesus was calling him, the first thing he did was as he threw off that old identity, even this, there, there comes a time where we throw off, because let's just be honest, we throw off all the words that people have spoken about us that don't line up with the word of God. Yes, because we've all had it. And, and, and let's, let's shoot straight. If it was a stranger, big whoop. But most of it, it was somebody in our family or somebody that was a spiritual authority in our life. And it, and it hurt us and it hurt us deep. And we've been carrying it for years. Yes, 
And there comes a time where you throw it off. Even this, I can't tell you how many times when I would do something stupid as a kid, my mom would go, you're just like your father. And I would be at my dad's house because they were divorced, right? They divorced when I was a month old. And I was over there at my dad's house, and he'd go, you're so much like your mother. Gee, thanks, Dad. But, but what happened was, is, you know, wore that, right? Am I making any sense? The, the things that were spoken over you, and, you know, you'll never be good. Man, you'll always be a beggar. You'll never be somebody that lives beyond that gate. Yeah? And those things that people don't understand, even though they may love us, they don't understand the weight that that holds on us. They don't understand the prison and the chains that that puts us in. Yes? But here's Jesus. He wants to come and say, can you throw all that aside and can you let me give you a new identity? Yes? So watch this. Bartimaeus realized that if he was going to embrace his God-given identity or his God-given destiny as what? As a son of honor. Once again, Bartimaeus, son of honor. Okay? If he was going to Grab a hold of his God-given identity as a son of honor. He couldn't keep holding on to that dishonoring, disempowering, disvaluing, self-degrading identity he had been wearing all of his life. Am I making sense to y'all today? It really doesn't matter if you're 15 or if you're 58 or if you're 60. You, you can still live there. Yes, you can. And, and let, me, let me even say this to you, though. Um, there's times in the kingdom where people come to Jesus and it's literally like flash. Everything's new like that. Most of the time, it's a journey that we walk on, and it's a process that God takes us through. You know, even today, we're singing it this morning. You're a good, good father. And I'm just sitting here feeling that, man, there's people in the crowd today that they don't really understand who he is as Papa. Understand who he is as Daddy. And even though we understand, okay, he's Father. Yeah, okay, I get it. But there's something about walking through that process that we go, you know what, that... that uh, God is not for me. He's not Johnny Self. He's not Frank Ceruzzi, my stepdad. He's not those guys that spoke all these things over me. He's not, he's not Royce Owensby, my grandfather, who just, you know, whatever. My nickname was stupid as a kid from him. But, but so, so to think about those things, that it took me years to realize that God wasn't like those three voices in my life. Are you all following me? That it was literally, it was a process. And that God was, watch this, I... I it was this for me, man, and just being honest, vulnerable, whatever. But, but it was this, that, man, he's really for me. He's for me. And, you, you know, it's that, it's that, that verse in, in Romans 8.32 that says that if he did not spare his own son, how much more will he not also freely give us all things? All things. And that all things is part of that. It's a new identity. It's a new way of thinking. It's, it's this, it's, it's a way that when I go look in the mirror of the morning, I don't, I don't see what was spoken over me, but I see what he has spoken over me. Am I making sense to y'all? I, you know, I'm not trying to go in circles, but, but listen, we're all there. And if we're all honest, there's pieces of that that are in us. And, and here's, all you have to, here's all you have to notice. Okay, watch this. When something's said to you, what makes you angry? What gets you ticked off? It's really not that individual. It's the fact that they pushed a button somewhere of something that, that you can draw a line to something in your past. It hit a sore spot. It's like throwing salt on a wound. And that's the spot that Jesus says, you know what, I want to bring healing there. I want you to see yourself different there. Are you, are you following me? Yes? All right, so let's go. Look at verse 51. Simple point from that, that part right there was is he had to throw aside his old identity so he could brace a new one. Okay, the new one God was giving him. Look at verse 51. It says, So Jesus answered and said to him, 
what do you want me to do for you? I don't know about you, but I looked at that question. I said, Jesus, that sure is stupid. What a dumb question. He's sitting there staring at a blind man face to face. He goes, what do you want me to do for you? But it, obviously it's not a dumb question because it's Jesus, right? So, but here's the thing is I think Jesus was asking, hey, man, look, do you want more than a handout? Do you want something different than your generation? Do you want something different than these 25,000 people that I just walked by? Are you following me? Do, do, do you literally want to become who I've called you to be? Are you sure you want to be changed? Are you sure you want to leave this life? I know you just threw off your garment, but are you sure you want to leave it? Are you sure you want to step into what I have for you? Because let's be honest, if you've never done that before, it's scary. Yes? One of the reasons why I was so scared to give my life to Jesus, because I was so afraid what he was going to do with it. Twenty years later, I haven't been disappointed. (laughs) Yeah. So watch this. It says, the blind man, i got to hurry. The blind man said to him, Rabboni or rabbi or teacher that I may receive my sight. Let's take it deeper in the context of what we're saying here without being heretics. That I may receive my destiny, that I may receive my honor, that I may receive my value, that I may receive my worth. In other words, would you somehow remove that which has robbed this of me so I can have what you called me to be? Yes? Then it says in verse 52, Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith or your hunger has made you well. In other words, once again, his hunger... Um, brought transformation, right? And then it says, and immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Um, Real fast. God has reserved transformation for the hungry, not for the passive or the proud. Okay? So, I want you to notice something there real quick because it really shows you the heart of what he was wanting. Notice it says there in the last part, and immediately received his sight. He received that which he was longing for, and he followed Jesus on the road. That shows us that he wasn't just looking for healing. Because if he was just looking for healing, he would have turned right back around and went into Jericho and just lived life in a different way. He'd have got him a job. Are you following me? But it says that he followed Jesus. And I haven't studied it, but if it's the same Greek word that's in Matthew four nineteen, where he says, come, follow me. The word follow me means unity road. That if he literally at that moment, he received his destiny and then he said, I'm going to walk with Jesus now. That's really what, what happens when we are released into a greater level of our destiny. We walk with Jesus in greater ways. It's not for our own benefit, our own glory, so we can do something else. But it's so we can uh, walk with him and, and basically co-labor with him. Amen. All right, so what does this mean for us? The Bible says that we too were like Bartimaeus. True? We were blind, we were naked, we were wretched and poor, that we were wandering aimlessly without hope, without purpose, that we were living below our God-given destiny. Is that true? That's true? Say, oh yeah. Listen, the Bible also says that like Bartimaeus, God has called us to be sons and daughters of honor, sons and daughters of value and worth. I keep saying that. But you've got to understand that his kingdom is a kingdom of honor. He himself is an honorable king. So what does that mean for you if you're his kid? See, the Bible says in Ephesians 2.10, I've mentioned this several times in the last five months, but for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. The, The Greek language there, the word good works means honorable actions. So we have to understand that if we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, that honorable actions are done by honorable people. But do we view ourselves as honorable? Do we view ourselves as value of worth? Are you with me? Because, see, here's the part. Here's where we make a mistake, okay? And i got to hustle here. But here's where we make a mistake. We come to church and we sit there. We look across the room and we compare ourselves to that person. Is that true? 
That's true. We do. And that's not the kingdom way. Amen. So. All right. So let me let me land this. Here we go. Basically, here's what we're going to do. Everybody stand to your feet. We're going to roll out of here. We got a meeting. We got a hustle. All right. Here's just kind of what I feel in my heart today, okay? And listen, I know we kind of said this and we'll say it again, but but God desires to remove whatever it is in our lives that robs us from our honor, our true identity, our true destiny. He desires to remove that which makes us dishonorable and disempowered, okay? Now, some of that is a sin. Some of that is just old old thinking and old mindsets. Some of that's just a, um, you know, once again, a, a, it's really this. Let me maybe say it where really the rubber meets the road. It's where we call the lie that's been spoken over our lives a lie. And we call that which God says is truth. And we choose to uh, basically, dis, you know, denounce that lie. And we receive the truth that God's spoken over us. Does that make sense? And part of that is, and, you know, listen, I realize that the whole word of faith movement, there's some people that went in the ditch. But there is a truth that's in that about confession. Jesus taught it. Okay. And so part of the confessing is this, is that I find what the word of God says about me. And I pray that over my life again and again and again until that thing sticks in me and it becomes part of who I am. Amen. You know, part of that, a verse that comes up to you, because we all got things in the past is this, the Bible says in St. Corinthians 5.21, it says, uh, it says he basically became, uh, he who knew no sin became uh, sin so that we might be called the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's honorable. Yes? When you understand that you're the apple of his eye, that you're his beloved, that you're holy and blameless in his sight, that you're the light of the world, the salt of the world, all those things that God says about you, there's not a whole lot of room to go, you know what, I'm crap. Yes? Amen? All right. So if you don't mind, uh, let's just pray. I just want to pray over you really fast. If, uh, if you're here and you say, okay, there's something that I need to come out of agreement with and get in agreement with him, just lift both hands just before him. So, Father, I just pray for your people today. Lord, I thank you, God, that once again they're your sons, your daughters. We've talked about that so much lately. But, Lord, um, God, I pray that that thing, that that, that lie... God, that they came into agreement with, that that thing would be broken over their lives in Jesus' name. And, Father, I pray that your truth would be released over them. God, that they would not see themselves as as less than or not good enough. But, Father, I pray that they would see themselves as, as a son or a daughter of honor, as a son or a daughter of great worth, of great value. God, help them understand, God, how much you love them. Please, God. Father, and even as we pray at the top, Lord, that they would see that you're such a good God and that you do have, uh, God, just your best in mind for them. And so, Father, I just thank you for blessing your people today. I thank you for blessing them. God, bless, literally touch their mind, touch the way they think. And, and Father, even, even in us, they have our hands up. God, I know even in me there's things that need to change. Father, help us to be mindful of the words that we speak over our lives. Father, you said that life and death is in the power of the tongue. And so, Father, I just pray that the words that we would speak would come into agreement with what you've said about us. God, it doesn't matter what everybody else is saying about us. It matters what you said. And so, Father, thank you for just releasing your truth and your revelation over our lives today. Father, we honor you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen, amen, amen.